0: Mojo Radio Show News. I say to you, you got to have Mojo, baby, yeah! News for the difference.
1: Cheating
2: is on the rise in the workplace, and it's a good thing. Who said you had to have all the ideas? No one person has a monopoly on all the world's great ideas. In fact, sometimes the most unlikely people can come up with the goods, and often that's because they don't feel restricted to the usual norms. Ask your partner, friends or family. Start verbalising or get the ball rolling in an open forum. The seed of an idea might come from your discussion and give you the jump start you need. Remember, it's always easy to get too close to a project, so putting a fresh head onto the idea might be just what's required. So it's not really cheating. It's just making the most of all available resources. Mind you, Gordon Gecko did say cheating is good, cheating is right, cheating works.
0: Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working.
1: I got my mojo working, but it just won't work
3: on you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Welcome to school, kids. Today we're going back to Mojo. You. A little bit more learning on Mojo in and out of the workplace. Another special guest, and this is your chance to sit back. And today is about learning about learning. We have an expert in his field. He talks with school teachers and principals. He talks with trainers, corporate leaders, people who want to understand the learning environment, how to help children and us, us big kids to learn betterer. And he is a world expert at it. He's an old mate of the show. His name's Glenn Capelli. We'll get to him in a second. But driving the big red bust, he is wearing the Tartan bus cap today. Uh, rubber behind the panel. <laughs> foot on the accelerator, foot to the floor, putting rubber on the road.
4: Yeah, you make me sound like a Bay City roller, wearing Tartan. A... <laughs> <laughs> I popped two revs this 40, so I'm fine. Well, I can I'm, tell. I'm... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't need to tell me when you've been revving it. <laughs> come on, Jack of a Mountain dude! I'm gonna
3: come across that console and spider
4: kick you. you got the invisible tool belt on. <laughs>
0: Tool being the f- definitive word Yeah, there's a couple of tools right here We don't take ourselves too seriously I wish I knew how to quit you The Mojo Radio Show
3: So we uh, we
4: got a great show this week, folks I'm psyched This guy <laughs> like, like, this guy <laughs> This guy I'll be honest In the, Probably in our first 20 or 30 shows There's maybe not a lot of shows I'd like to go back to <laughs> <laughs> You could probably say the same for the next 100 or so But, um This is one that I regularly go back to. Cap was an amazing episode. Glenn Capelli, who we're going to talk to today, wasn't he? Yeah, Glenn
3: Capelli is an old mate of mine. He's an old mate of the show. When I say old, I mean in age. I mean as in we go back a ways. To put it into context, folks, I think the best way that I can explain how good this guy is is I was in New Zealand in the boardroom of a big bank over there. And I was doing my speech to their leadership team. Looked up on the wall, and there was this large graphic, and it was all illustrations with keywords through it, and it had cartoons and words and color. And I looked at it and automatically knew it was the work of Glenn Capelli. And I walked up, and there it was Cap's content and his name in the corner. And I spoke to the guy who was the leader of the organization. He said that Cap had been across doing some training, and that was his leave behind. This guy, this guy, this guy (laughs) is one of the best in the world in terms of taking content and delivering it in such a way that we don't just take it in, but we learn it and we can take it away and use it. And you'll see the way he threads stories together, the way he gives you visual examples of it, his tones, the, the lyrically how he delivers his content. Glenn Capelli is the master of learning and he's a, he's a good old mate of ours, Rob Owen. And you and your family have taken, it's it's fair to say you've taken quite a few significant learnings from our last show.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my kids especially have learnt a lot from that first show, definitely.
3: Mm. So this will be a G-rated show, folks. So the kiddies can listen in in the car. Uh, but without further ado, let's welcome him back. He's a good mate of the show. He was on in our first ever year, first probably ever six months of the Mojo Radio show Glenn Capelli, Cap, welcome back to the show, mate.
2: Uh, It is a pleasure to be back. And and let me tell you, I was doing a presentation just a few weeks ago and this guy says to me, I think I've heard you on Mojo Radio several times. (laughs) Nice. uh, (laughs) How good is that? And uh, and he's CEO CEO, CEO of the company and uh, he um, listens in to you guys all the time and then um, and I, I was just, just rapped because he, he not only said he was listening, but he was able to um, say, listen, here's a couple of things that I, I gained just from your interview alone, let alone all the other interviews of the wonderful people that you guys get on. So,
3: Cap, with that in mind, Robo and I have both worked the Halcyon Days of Triple M, the two-day network, and one of the things we always used to do is the flashback. Let's do a mojo radio show flashback?
2: We're very happy with the three Russian brothers and their slightly mad cousin. Um, there's a couple of things we've come up with over the years that have really caught on and get used by a lot of folk um, and we're very pl- proud to say that the school teachers who use the three Russian brothers and their cousin to help students write better essays, there's CEOs who use the three Russian brothers and their slightly mad cousin to look at any problem or or uh, opportunity that they've got in their business. Um And it's my way, I guess, in visual note-taking, you try to convert one form of learning into another. So I was mucking around with this and um, uh, I was thinking that sometimes we get smarter by doing a bit more of. And more of, to me, sounded like a Russian brother. So more of, if you say it in a funny voice, so... Well, you know, in your health program, what is it you could do a bit more of? If you're running around the block for 20 minutes but you can do 25 and go uphill, then that's a more of. You know, what has this essay got that's really good that we could do a bit more of? Um, me as a leader, what do I need to be doing more of, in your opinion? And then, But the trouble is that um, Banana Rama had a song years ago that only um, people like you and I would be old enough to remember, Gary, you know, more, more, more. So we tend to be a society that's good at more of, but um, maybe the second Russian brother we need to get a bit more happening, which is less of. You know, can I be smarter by doing less of something? Can uh, this essay be better by doing less of something? Me as a leader, what do I need to be doing less of? And then the third Russian brother is rid of. Um, David Perkins, when he saw this model at the World Thinking Conference in Kuala Lumpur, he said... He said, ah, you know, I think we're good at more of, but less of and rid of, we're not so good at. Mm. So how do we do rid of? What do we shed in our life? And, and when we have to shed something, um, how do we do it? Um, you know, we've, we've been lousy at uh, how we get rid of footy coaches, um, how we get rid of our prime ministers we're not real good at. Um, so when you have to get rid of something, um, how you front up and do that. And also to know that, you know, there's a lot of superfluous stuff in our lives. Yeah. And then the, the mad cousin, his name is Toss In. So what new stuff do we need to toss into the brew? Um, what new element of thinking or action does this um, project require? You know, some organisations do their 360-degree feedback and, and it's, it's, it's anxiety-provoking in some ways. But if you do the Russians, you can get the same result. And as long as you're using a funny voice... Um, there's no threat to it. And, and Indeed, Gary, you know, every presentation we do, we should look at it and go, okay, that was pretty good, but what how, if it, what did I need to do a bit more of? What did I need to do a bit less of? What do I need to get rid of? Uh, what do I need to toss into the bro?
4: So, Cap, you've given our mojo a, a pump just there. Let me put this back in your pocket. I walked over to the homework bench a couple of weeks ago and my 11-year-old son was sitting there working on a geography assignment. And he had a list next to him and I said, What that? And he said, well, that's my brother's. This is what I need to do more of. This is what I need to take out. And this is some things that I need to think about. So you've influenced, well, back then he was an eight-year-old because the other thing that came of your interview was Liam is also a massive journaler. Uh, and he got that from your interview. So um, there's some mojo back in your pocket, hopefully. Oh, well,
2: tell Liam he's an absolute hero. He's a learning hero. That's brilliant. uh <laughs> Any educator, the thing we want to do is to make sure that the the things that we come up with um, are good for people and they spread. And certainly the Russian brothers are the most uh, – the good Russian brothers, we have to call them now, <laughs> just in case there's some not so good <laughs> Russian brothers around. <laughs> but uh, well done, Liam. Be, there,
3: are there any Trump brothers? Yes. Uh, the, um,
2: <laughs> we're trying to stay clear. But we are actually looking at the power of leadership and how they influence for Good and not so good on the planet. Um, So the the way that we impact, um, as you know, methodology can be used to wonderfully grow a person like Liam or can be used to sometimes sadly manipulate in certain ways. And um, so how the the ethics of methodology is a really interesting thing to consider and it's something we're working on with uh, some of our teams at the moment. You know,
3: it's such an interesting, even out of the gate, Cap, to say to become a learning hero or to develop learning heroes it's such a nice way to frame the fact that we need to stretch ourselves and look for new information lean into conversations be curious I think it's just a great statement,
2: mate. Oh, thank you very much. It's it's a theme that we work a lot, and not only with, with schools and, and school children, but um, with any of the organisations we're, we're working on, to look for learning heroes, people who have continued to learn, who face challenge and, and done well with it, um, who lead a lifetime of learning, and they look at some of the people that um, – from history, you know the, the Helen Keller's of this world face great adversity and, and emerge. Uh, her teacher Annie Sullivan, um, you know, but they also Maya need to look within. Oh Angelou. Oh, indeed. Uh, in fact, uh, my niece is named after Maya. Um, so, oh, really? But they, yeah, but one of the the things in it all too is to look for the learning heroes within your own organisations and your own lives, uh, and that they're there. But it, what what we do with kids? Um, you know, they they might start looking at a Margaret Mead or researching her, or a Helen Keller, or a Mayor Angelou, um, and and some of the folks. So it goes beyond, you know, instant celebrity people to human beings that have led long, credible lives, and throughout they've displayed the ability to shift and change, but to hold true to certain values within themselves and and that to me is the, the learning hero ethos.
4: The thing that I find with the Russian Brothers, just quickly before we move on, is that it's so easily applied to any part of our life though, isn't it? It's one of those things that you can do it, your life in general, your business. I use it with my footy team that I coach. We use it at the end of each game. We always sit down and do the Russian Brothers. It's just such a powerful tool, isn't
2: it? it, it well, thank you very much. And it's certainly the most um, multi-purpose thinking tool um, that I, I've come up with. And it did emerge over the years and, and it's probably worthwhile throwing in a couple of the, the other Russians too. So we have our three Russian brothers and that's how they started. More of, less of, rid of. You know, what, what can we do more of? What can we do less of? What can we do, get rid of? What do we need to do in a health program, in an essay, in, in whatever? Then the cousin, um, he came along and his name is Tosin. So, what new things do we toss in to the brew? Not Tossov, but Tosin. What new things do we need to add? And then it, it dawned on me recently that there is a, the, the cousin's got a girlfriend and uh, her, her name, and she's the great innovative Russian, um, and her name is Instead Dov. Instead of. Um, And I was presenting to. The enterprise people, all scholarship winners, and many of them were from former Russian countries, or and uh, they said it has to be instead of a, instead of a, because it's feminine, so it's got to have a on the end. But but basically that is, um, if we take, say, Carmen's Muesli, when uh, they came up with their blueberry bar, which was a magnificent bar, tasted brilliant, um, but never really sold, and instead of scrapping it, instead of giving it a major overhaul they changed one thing and only one thing. So instead of instead of a, a blueberry bar, they changed the name to superfood bar and it doubled its sales within two weeks and tripled its sales within a month. Wow. So sometimes the innovative thing is just an instead of. A. Um, so instead of certain substances, we might use others. Instead of some substances harming the planet, we might use something that's going to be good for the planet. Instead of this happening every time my immediate response is this, then instead of responding in that way, I can pause and respond in a different way. So instead of a, is an extremely innovative and wonderful Russian to be able to add to the brew. I'll pass that on to Liam. <laughs> good on you, Liam. <laughs> and, uh, and I look forward to Liam presenting about the Russians at some stage very soon. I'm sure that... Uh, I'm sure he will. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, that'd be very, very good. You
3: know, it, it dawns on me, Cap, that if you think about the learning hero. If a listener is a parent and you talk about going into schools and having children become learning heroes, or I think the phrase you used was looking for learning heroes, imagine if a parent took on that role to put on their super cape to be the influence for their own children, where their own children looked at the parent to say they're a learning hero. I want to be like mum, I want to be like dad, I want to be like granddad. Because I just feel as though that sometimes the parents are so busy doing, they're not taking the time to sit, read and learn and take in new information. And that can't be setting a great precedent for the children in the home. Is that something you're observing
2: through the home or the education system? Uh, and uh, Wonderful pick up, mate, because it, it, we are all that example to other human beings, Um and we can be an example of, of somebody who um, doesn't engage in learning, who doesn't shift, who is not open to possibility, or we can be the example of somebody who will face adversity in certain ways, face challenge, get stuck in, give things a go, who, who will be somebody who continues to develop a road where we get a little bit better, a little bit smarter and a little bit wiser on a daily basis. And. The, the most important thing we know is the more that you have these things around, the more they will be. So uh, um, the, a culture of a place, an organisation, the more it exists that there are people who respond in that way, then other people pick up on it. But likewise, where there is, there will be more. Um, so more of comes into action. If there's a lot of uh, cynicism around, if there's a lot of negativity, there's a lot of sniping going on, if you're not... Um, uh, displaying your love for your partner in life in front of your kids and then, then that that's it doesn't spread you know uh, and what spreads is is the non, the negative if you like. So in, in some ways it's the the message of the learning hero is a wonderful message because it tells us all that we we can all be that learning hero and no matter what, even when we think we're not we're an influence on in other human beings. The example we set is rippling out there.
3: You just mentioned the culture. I'd be curious to know of your observations of how the work culture has changed in the last three to five years, Cap. So you're getting around the place, you're working on big contracts, you're doing a lot of learning, a lot of development. How has the work culture changed in recent times? What are your observations and what should leaders be aware of? Uh, Well, well,
2: certainly it's, um, I mean, culture We've known it to be the, one of the most uh, powerful duos, and it's uh, the double helix of culture and character, and I think you can't separate e- either, and uh, they, they are a double helix together. But um, it's certainly become more and more um, a, a catchphrase that, you know, comes back to culture, it comes back to culture. The the danger with any of that is that sometimes organisations, um, before something has even really been taken on board and understood deeply, they kind of go, "Oh yeah, we did that." I mean, we've we've done culture. I mean, we did culture two years ago. Um, <laughs> you get the, you know, you get this Mexican wave of eyebrows. Oh bloody culture again! Yeah. But of course, it's something. It's it's like emotional intelligence. It just didn't come in and then go out. It's a, a fad. It is something. It needs to be constantly we re- remind ourselves of, and refresh. And it has to be refreshed for all of our people too. Otherwise, the the mission statements, vision statements, do just become posters on wall, rather than showing up in, in human behaviour. So the more that it it is mentioned, um, but when we mention it, we've we've got to really make sure that we we go a little bit deeper on it and we pause to really think about it and go, okay, how's that showing up in our behaviour? So if that's what we think our culture is, and some of the work of people like Steve Simpson with uh, unearthing the unwritten ground rules, you know, so um, what I always look at in an organisation is that, Um, When we're in a meeting, whether it's a board meeting, whether it's a leadership meeting, whether it's a a meeting of every layer and level of the organisation, do they really share what they think and feel openly and in a respectful way, but in a robust, respectful way? Or do they wait and then tell their buddy what they really think when they're leaving the meeting? Um, And so to me, that's one of the cultural points to be able to note because we need to have that openness. We need to have the ability to share openly but in a respectful way at all times Um, and to be able to challenge, you know, the best organisations challenge each other. So, But also at the culture level, the other thing that will stop a culture in its tracks is if the systems that you've employed do not echo, reflect uh, and radiate an invisible message of, of that culture. So say, for example, we're working with a group and they they swore every statement that they are about, every cultural thing they are about is teamwork, 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 teamwork. Mm. And yet they had an incentivisation motivation program for their sales staff that was an individual incentivisation program. So, you know, the system in place is actually sometimes working against what you believe the culture is. And in fact, that that will become a pseudo thing. Teamwork becomes a pseudo thing. And what's really going on is, um, you know, let me get that trip to Bali rather than you.
3: I met a guy called Scott Farquhar, who is one of the partners who started an incredible Australian company called Atlassian. And I met Scott and interviewed him a couple of years ago at the Day of Inspiration. And Seriously impressive guy. And the company was only started in, I think, 2004. It's now worth, i I guessing, around $4 billion. But these guys at Atlassian have a very very different view on, call it company culture or the internals of a company. And I know you've looked at these guys and they rate something like 98% staff satisfaction year after year. They have won best place to work in Australia and they're actually worldwide in America. They're in one of the highest ranked organisations that people want to work with and feel good about working for. What would be your observations of the internals of that company, Cap? You've looked at them, you know them, you've written about them. What what can you share with us that says, here's what a great organisation looks like where people love what they do?
2: Right. The the model that um, emerged for, for me in my work, and if the, the Russians really um, is a, the spreadable thing, then the real core of what we're about with any group that we go into, oh, and it can be a school and it can be applied to a family, you know, it's five layers. So the first layer is that culture character double helix. So that really is foundation. We don't start with strategy, start with, okay, what's the feel of the place, um, and If you really want to build that, then at a parent level or at an organisational level, um, praise character and not intelligence. So uh, an example being, so I'm a member of Mensa, so that means I'm I'm good in an IQ test. Um, But IQ is an extremely, it's one part of intelligence but only a limited part of intelligence. But if a child is intelligent, or good at and uh, can do well in an IQ test, and the parent says, um, oh, she's bright, he's bright, teacher says, oh, she's bright, he's bright, child takes credit um, and pride in being bright, then perhaps the child will not want to tackle anything that they won't appear as if they're not bright at. So they won't tackle challenge and and muck up. Um, and likewise in an organisation, if you, if you say... I love the way that when you tackled that, you didn't get it first time. You went up and gave it another shot. You didn't get it the second time. But over time, you really have mastered that skill well done. I love the way that uh, when you got the instant answer to that, you didn't just gloat and shout it out. you, You helped other people and, and led them towards them being able to find the answer, well done. So what you praise will tend to be able to spread. And and it means that you're looking for things in character. And when you look at an organisation um, like Alessium, or, or it, it, they tend to be picking up on those kind of behaviours, and not as a strategy but just as a way of being, going, good. I, I, I want to say thank you for how you handled that yesterday because... And they're not only giving a thank you, they're giving a because. Because that angry client, within a minute, you actually turned them around and had them smiling and they're important to us, so, so well well done. So it's that culture level and then you look at the kind of ways you're having conversations. So culture, character first, then how do we have conversations? How do we define our words? Uh, what's the shared vocabulary and do we have a common understanding of it? Then you look at strategy, um, your your thinking in action, if you like. Then you look at methodology, how you reach and teach within that organization, and then the systems that that invisible mesh flowing through, is that supporting at all? and it's it's amazing that these companies um, that are doing it really, really well, uh, they haven't necessarily done it in that kind of a a methodical strategic way, but when you look at them, all of those five layers are working in a, as a beautiful harmony uh, and all five layers are being thought about, even though they may not have known the model.
3: You mentioned Mensa, Cap. Now, my understanding is that if you are a Mensa member, it means you're super bright, which does question why you actually want to come on the show at all. Uh, but <laughs> that, that, that aside, you can't be that bright. Um, however, at the same time, you are a self-proclaimed hobo who backpacked around the world for seven years. So there's this light and shade in your character and I'd be curious to know that as a Mensa member, looking back on those seven years you travelled as a hobo on the streets, what what did you take from that time? What's the learning you carry with you today?
2: Uh, thank you. The, um, the Mensa um, title only came to me after I got back from my times on the streets and seven years of wandering the world with a backpack. So maybe that actually led to it. But, but really Mensa and IQ, if there's something that, we, that Mensa people have in common, it's a, a curiosity to learn and a and love to solve a puzzle. Um, but that can be an academic puzzle rather than a life puzzle. So as far I say, it's a part of intelligence and it's kind of important to, to have, but you don't have to have it within yourself as long as you've got it within your team. When I was at university, um, I studied English history and economics. I taught English history and economics for two years and then I ended up doing my travelling. But I learnt about one thing in economics, it was a kibbutz a kibbutz um, in, in Israel that a socialist system where and you could go over and be a volunteer worker and they would feed you. And I thought, well that sounds good. That sounds interesting. And also I knew nothing about Judaism. I had studied Islamic religion, um, I had studied Hinduism at universities, part of my Asian studies. Um, I had grown up in a semi-Christian country, although I'm not sure if you can call growing up in Kalgoorlie a Christian experience, <laughs> but, but I knew of it, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. So I wanted to learn about Judaism and overcome my my ignorance, and I'm about to head down to Israel from Greece, and this bloke says to me, where are you going? And I say, oh, mate, I'm going down to Israel, and he said, oh, I've just come from Israel. He said, um, are you going to be on a kibbutz? I said, oh, I, I want to, and he said, well, you should do an all-part. I said, mate, what's an ulpan? He said, you can go and learn Hebrew. I said, i oh, gee, I'm, I'm not Jewish, mate. And he said, no, no, they're looking for people at the moment um, and they 10, 10% of people can go into the program who are not Jewish. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. You'll get to work a day, study a day, work a day, study a day, work a day, study a day, then have a day off each week. It's just brilliant. And I thought, well, what an incredible experience to be able to do that. So I went down. Um, now it turns out that they were looking for people to go on all pans because the all were being run in the north of Israel at the time the sand missile crisis was on. So, <laughs> so I don't know how high my IQ was in going, oh yeah, I'll go up there.
0: <laughs> there, go.
2: Uh, yeah, so um, I got to do this all pans. And, and I can still speak my Hebrew. But um, my Russian roommate, so, I, you know, what's well, the chance? When you're a kid from Kalgoorlie, you're probably not thinking you're going to have a Russian room roommate on a kibbutz in the north of Israel with the sand missile crisis happening, but I, I was. And one day I was complaining. Now, in those days, I used to complain. I try not to complain now. And I'd written a book that nobody wanted to publish at that stage, so I was complaining about it. And my Russian roommate, Zhenya, and this may be where the Russians came from, but Russian roommate, Zhenya, he says to me, Glenn. And I look up because that's my name. And he says, Glenn, always remember this. And I say, okay, Jenya, I will. My ears grew because he was a, a wise man. He says, blin homom," And I said, mate, I will. What's it mean? And he says to me, it means the first pancake is always lumpy. The first pancake is always lumpy. If you're going to tackle something new and challenging, it's going to be a lumpy pancake, but you get back in, you get stuck in, you make another one and another one and another one. So these kind of things, these experiences, this knowledge, um, and Xenia remains one of my best mates. Um, When I returned to Israel five years later, Xenia said to me, Glenn, you're now 28 and you've got nothing. (laughs) I had a mouldy backpack and 50 bucks. And he said, uh, my, my Russian friends want to know what's your insurance for the future. And somehow I said to him, I somehow figure that this stuff that I'm learning is my insurance for the future. And little did I know it, that that's really the, that's a, that's a learning hero ethos in, in action. Um, as long as you go through life learning your way we can't predict our future but if you're constantly learning and applying it things will open up.
4: We talk a lot on the show about curiosity it occurs to me from listening to you tell that story that curiosity was also a pretty big part of that journey that seven-year journey that you took.
2: When, I, um, when I'm working with students um, the first thing I'll do is I'll give them a quiz where they couldn't possibly know the answers to the question. Um, and one of the things uh, I will say before, as I go into that, quiz is that you are born with an innate curiosity. The brain is a, a curious learner, and we need to keep that curiosity uh, alive. Um, what's this mean? How can we apply it? What's this possible? And sometimes I think the the curiosity of life gets gets certainly gets knocked, and um, but sometimes it gets knocked out of us. Um, and uh, a natural curiosity, I mean. Um, to paraphrase uh, the uh, Dale Carnegie and then um, the paraphrase picked up by somebody like an Edward De Bono, to be interesting, be interested. You know, be interested, interested in human beings, interested in, in how does that happen? What, and I think you guys have as You go into an organisation, be curious, be interested. What do you do? How do you do it? What does that look like? What's really happening here? Uh, here's what's being said but what's being shown, what's being displayed. Uh, and the same when we when we meet a human being, um, everyone has got their story. Everyone's got an ethos. Everyone's got a journey. And if we unearth that journey, um, if we're interested in them, um, it's 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 quite fascinating what opens up not only for them, uh, and but for us as a learning experience to go, oh wow, who would have thought? You know, wow, what did I learn from that person? Um, and and. Yeah, they might be in a role in life where, I mean, there was a guy who was doing our windows. Um, we wanted some shutter blinds put into our place um, when we built a new home. And uh, this uh, an old, older guy had his own business and, and uh, he was wonderful to uh, chat with, you know, talk. And, and I said, mate, have you always done this? And he said, no, 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 I started doing woodwork because, I held a major job and it was very stressful. And I thought when I got back from a job each day, I'd go out in the shed and do woodwork and it kept me sane. And I said, what was your job? And he said, oh, you, you wouldn't have heard of them, but um, I, I worked for an organisation called CLSA. And I said, you're kidding, CLSA? i travelled all of Asia presenting in their universities, um, big financial company presenting to their, uh, their people. And, and he said, well, I started those university courses. Um, you know, and you don't discover this stuff unless you actually talk. Uh, My dad was a tradie, um, so talk to tradies. There's your first learning (laughs) in life. Uh, And talk to any person because they've got an an interesting life if you can unearth their ethos, unearth what they're about as a human being.
3: Cap, if you think about your seven years as a hobo and you've shared – what you've taken from that and the learnings, how advantageous it was. There is somebody listening to the show right now, and I would meet one a week who, for whatever reason, are now unemployed. So yesterday they had a job, today they've been given notice and they're out and they are thinking and considering their future and a lot of them are looking for the next gig. Like they can't can't get their head around the fact they haven't got a job because their identity is built around that. And there are others who are going, well, here's an opportunity where I can actually start to do something for myself or explore something differently. My question is, with the people you meet and your observations of business and people today, if somebody said, okay, Cap, I'll give you three months and I want that seven-year hobo experience, but I'll give you three months between my gigs, what would you, what would you advise somebody? What would you say to them? to pick up all the juice and the gold that you had in those seven years if you had 100 days or, say, six months? What would you say?
2: I think, I think one of the beauties of today's world is that, and, and we all need to be doing this, you, you map out your own university course. Um, you map, map out your own life course. Um, and if, you, uh, if you've got three months or, or, you know, the rest of your life to have a little parallel road happening where you keep on learning stuff. Um, So it it might be that, you know, you say, okay, each day I'm going to watch a 15-minute YouTube video and each day, um, uh, one day I'm going to look at something really practical. Um, One day I'm going to look at something really um, that's going to confuse my brain because it's so complicated. One day I'm going to look at something that's uh, to do with, um, you know, being a parent. So you can map out your own 15 minutes or five minutes. Um, you, uh, w- with every book that I've written and um, certainly the, the one that we've just been commissioned to write, we try to write it in such a way that people, yes, they can read it cover to cover, but say, for example, in the Thinking Caps book, they can just open to any page and there should be something on that page that comes out and hits them as something that will amuse them or something that will help them learn and that kind of randomness sometimes just pick up a book and open it if you're not a a reader then in today's world of course you can pick up an ipod and listen to it you can go onto mojo radio and and return to all those different interviews but the key is to make it something that happens on a daily basis for you Um, And that's almost, uh, it looks like a discipline to other human beings, but what you're doing is you're reinvigorating that natural curiosity inside yourself. Now, some people will say, yeah, but that's not going to lead to a job or that's not going to lead to such and such. There are some things in life you can do that are strategic, but there are other things you can do, and learning is one of them, where you just learn stuff and you don't even know how it's going to help you or help somebody else. But it emerges and the situation will arise where you can help your 11-year-old lad or your 8-year-old lad um, be able to learn something. Um, or you'll have a anecdote inside of you that you can tell a workmate that helps them get through a, a tough situation. When Junior told me his lumpy pancake story or told me perverbe <laughs> Chamom. I didn't think, oh, beauty, I'm going to use that for the rest of my life when I'm a professional speaker. Uh, but it turns out chef. that I have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have. You know, so that's that's good. Cap,
3: we spoke to a lady called Suzanne Mercier a couple of weeks ago now and Suzanne is an expert in the imposter syndrome, is that voice that gets inside our head as the imposter and keeps us from doing the things we want to do and – One of the things we talked about was that the best way, one of the best ways to beat the imposter syndrome is to have very strong self-awareness, to understand yourself. And you've said before in your writings that if you want to lead others, first you must know thyself. Give me the Glenn Capelli secret source to help somebody who's listening say, well, I think I do, but I'm not sure. Tell me the quick executive stepping stones the key questions or things someone must do to develop true self-awareness.
2: It's, it's one of the biggies, of course. And um, when I got my Churchill Fellowship in 1989, I got to meet and work with Art Costa, And Art says that his research suggests that 80% of human beings, 80% of adults do not have metacognition. That is, they've never actually thought about thinking. So if that's true of eight out of ten people, then self-awareness is is uh, a, a, indeed a great great challenge. It's also interesting. With you, you mentioned Suzanne and the imposter syndrome. I, lo- I love unpacking words, and within that word, there's an "I'm poser." Um, so, you sometimes you have to pose. Um, And that can be a good thing, um, but it can, like all things, there's a yin and yang, and it can be not so good for you. But how we pose to ourselves, how we pose questions to ourselves, and one of the one of the things I get um, CEOs to look for in particular is, um, well, let me put it this way: I was in Buenos Aires, as you are, um, just uh, about a year ago, and I had a meal with a chap for a, a couple of hours. And um, he's a bit of a celebrity, this, this man. Um, and I just waited for him to ask me something. Now, a bit unfair on him because I'm pretty good at asking and I'm pretty good at, at curious and he was pretty good at talking. But it took two <laughs> hours. It took two hours before he asked me anything. So one of the things I ask of my CEOs is, have you become that person? Have you become that person that just talks and doesn't ask. Um, well, how do you know your people? Do you ask them for, um, you know, how's things going? What's things, do you know that they've got an 11-year-old? Do you know that, um, yeah, how their life is unfolding or, or unpacking? And and so to be that, take that time to be a little bit curious in your own people. So self-awareness would be one thing is to look at well, how much do I talk and how much do I ask? And it's, it's also worthwhile um, noting that in terms of a marriage or a relationship, uh, do you ask? And when you ask, how are you? How was your day? Um, you know, what did you, how did this afternoon go for you? Then you actually listen to the response. Um, so asking and listening. I interviewed Sir Richard Branson on stage for 75, 80 minutes and asked him what he thought his best quality as a leader was. And he said, I listen." Um, now, a lot of people would see Richard as a mouth, but he, he sees himself more as ears. And he said, and when I listen to my people, I'm good at picking up talents inside of them that they didn't even know that they had. I'm good at sensing talent and growing it. Uh, and that's just beautiful. That's um, And again, as part of that self-awareness, you've got to be aware that you will ask and you'll be interested and you'll be curious. And even if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, gee, hold on, yeah, I've got so busy. I've, I've I've actually forgot to do that in my own family, let alone my, my workplace. Then you know you've got some self awareness because you're reflecting. Yeah, you know, you're looking at the mirror and you're going, "Okay, no, no, I I could do a bit more. I need to do a bit more of that. I need to do a bit less of that. I need to get rid of that." Uh, so tools like the Russian can help in an awareness process, but it's when you actually ask yourself some questions and really delve into the answers and then find yourself asking other people questions and listening to them, listening to their response. Not so that you can solve their life, um, but so you can learn their life. It's
3: obvious, Cap, that you followed your dad into the old Kalgoorlie mines because you've just delivered gold to the Mojo Radio Show. How's that for a Hey, hey, hey? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I like it. Uh, I like that, it. Uh, well, I, I, I I'm loving it. My dad, Jack, would be shaking his hand going, uh, he's shaking his head, um, going, go, go down the mines. No, no, I, I did go down the mines, um, but dad certainly went down the mines in more ways than one, mate, because um, my, my dad, Jack, a, a carpenter, um, smartest man ever knew, and yet he uh, left school very early, played eight different musical instruments um, all by ear, a jazz muso, and um, indeed, if uh, the, this latest book I've been asked to write, has been a, a memoir and, and it is in one sense, I have gone back to the Kalgoorlie mines because you've got to go back to where it started from and where what I learned from my grandparents, what I learned from my parents, what I learned from the, the red dirt of Kalgoorlie. And hopefully, as you so beautifully put it, um, when you go mining for that kind of stuff, you do realise that there's been some nuggets um, of gold that you've been given in your life um, from wonderful people, who they didn't even know it, but they were setting the example of a learning hero from the word go.
3: And you know, when I think of mines, Cap, and I think of guys like Jack in the mines. I mean, these guys are tough. This is this has gone back in the day. And Rob and I quite often send shout outs to people who are working on the street, in mines, in the fields, up towers, who are doing it, they've they've got resilience, they've got grit, they they back up every day, all conditions. Resilience and grit would be something I suspect you took from Jack and you took from the red dirt roads around Kalgoorlie growing up as a kid. With what you're observing today with schools and children, families in the corporate world, what would be your recommendations today to develop this grit and resilience that maybe guys have had back in the day, how do we how do we how do we do that today and demonstrate it to get good at it?
2: It's one of the great challenges, and I think um, our young people are going into a far more complex world than what we ever went into. And hand in hand with that complexity, seems to be that they uh, grow up with more anxiety—an um, anxious world. Um, you know, whether I'm working with uh, the wonderful young women at uh, Brisbane Girls' Grammar or whether I'm working with the primary school students uh, in Samoa at at um School, um, you know, it's interesting to see how they handle the, the modern world. And interestingly enough, the Lota Fargo kids who have got uh, less of most things, there's a lot less of in their life, um, they do seem to be far more grounded um, and uh, sing and dance um, uh, a lot more in a natural, spontaneous way than some of our other youngsters. So natural play is at the core of it all. Um, and, uh, we, and natural play as a kid in Kalgoorlie meant that I had imagination. I made up <laughs> friends in my head. You know, I still make up friends in my head, basically. But, uh, um, And, and you know, you climb trees um, and you took a few risks in doing that. Um, we, my brother and I, uh, Gary's three years older, but as as kids we got on our bikes with some friends and we rode seemingly miles, but it was probably 500 metres, um, up a hill. And up the top of the hill in Kalgoorlie there was bush and we called it Black Terror, Now, there was nothing really terrible about it, but we called it Black Terror and we we had a camping spot and we went and played at Black Terror and we imagined things. And I think uh, by making up this place called Black Terror, by going there and riding our bikes and playing games, it it helped us face some of the Black Terrors in life, you know. It helped us... um, and it's some of those qualities that natural play brings—imagination, um, the ability to innovate, the ability to pick yourself up when you when you fall over and go again—and we need kids to have that kind of natural play, and not not just in terms of oh they're doing their ballet course now, and then they go off to do their rugby training, and then they go off to do this, but how they occupy their own brain when they've got time without machines to sit and invent inside their head and play and imagine. So the the natural play element is huge and that constant as they're doing anything, whether it is a set sporting activity, to be looking at character to be looking at character and picking up on the character things that you see and praising those guys. I love the way that you picked yourself up again and did that. I love the way that you went and helped your buddy. I love the way that you, when when you kick that goal, you turn to your teammates who pass the ball to you and you gave them a thumbs up and a well done and good on you. Um, you know, I love seeing that teamwork in action. So the more you pick up on these things and acknowledge them, the more that they will grow.
0: It's half time on The Mojo Show and time to pause. For a cause.
1: Hi, my name is Maria Granberg. I'm a big fan of this organization uh, placed in Nepal called Ladies Mountain League. They are teaching women in Nepal more about adventure sports and trekking and climbing and and uh, hiking and all of that, empowering women in Nepal. I love them. They're doing great work. Check them out and I would love for you to support them. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. Supreme,
0: the Mojo Radio Show.
2: You've got
3: such a great
2: depth
0: of
3: knowledge and you've got this wealth of stories to draw from, Cap. How do you record your learnings in this day and age When you are hearing a lot, seeing a lot, you're curious, you're leaning into conversations, how does Glenn Capelli record your learnings for posterity? Posterity.
4: Prosperity?
2: Uh, um, Posterity. For for whatever parity that we wish to choose, um, (laughs) I... I've always kept learning journals before I even knew what a learning journal was. So basically, I had a, a pad with um, unlined paper. Unlined seemed to work better for me than lines, so maybe I always liked open space and possibility. And I'd have a pen and I'd write words and I'd, I'd draw pictures. Um, now, in the, for the last five years, I've been a, a resource for um, a number of schools and I've mentioned Brisbane Girls Grammar as one of them. And one of the beautiful projects that started now – three years ago with them, is that the year sevens coming in, so they're now year sevens going as their first year at high school, um, we have all of the girls keep learning journals. Um, Some of them supplement it with digital learning journal, but um, all of them have pens, they have coloured pens, they have paper, and we teach them about visual note-taking, we teach them about a variety of ways to unearth and use writing and to use pictures as reflection, as growth, as innovation, as, as thinking tools. And basically we're trying to have that. And one of the first concepts within that learning journal is we talk about learning heroes. And some of them research their learning heroes and draw pictures of them or cut out pieces of paper and stick it into their learning journal. Um, and it, it's a joy to watch these young people using this learning tool that they're not going to get marked on, they're not going to get assessed on but um, helping them um, to be learners throughout their life. And I show them some of my learning journals from when I was uh, 11 years of age, 12 years of age and just starting off, and um, and I show them my learning journals now. So if I read a really interesting book, I will summarise it in my, my journals. Um, if I meet an interesting person, uh, chances are I'll turn them into a song or a poem or, or something in my journal Um I'm not sure how I'm going to use that or if I ever would use it. But it turns out when somebody asks you to write a memoir that you've basically got 15 bucket loads of journals to be able to go back to to recall all those significant things and moments in your life that have uh, helped me to hopefully help myself be a little bit better and smarter and wiser as I as I journey through life.
3: That's interesting, Cap. And I was on of camp there for a second because – I'm just reading a book at the moment by Leo Babuta, and he is a very successful blogger and now a successful author. And he writes on minimalism and simplicity. And I'm reading a book at the moment about the power of less, which is about the power of focus. One of the things that I've highlighted in the book is that taking notes and having learning journals is one part of it because we have all this information coming at us, which can be fabulous information, and we're recording it all in some way. He said the issue today is we're not taking enough time to sit in silence and to sit with stillness, to take the learnings and then say, well, how do I agree with that? How might I use that? How might I be of service to somebody else? We're not taking the thinking time. I'd just be interested to know. In Glenn Capelli's world, you are a great note taker. I've seen, I've seen in walls of boardrooms around the world, the great graphic illustrations that you use to capture information and and then be able to present it to people to in a true learning environment. Given that's happening, where does your deep work happen, Cap? What's your routines or rituals about taking the learnings that you note? Than thinking about how you can use it.
2: It, it, One one of the things that really hit me when you were talking about the the Babuta and what great surnames you guys come up with for people (laughs) Babuta and Bakwa. I mean, you've got to be careful how you say some of them, but they're they're wonderful (laughs) surnames. uh, Um, I've just um, been reading Tom Friedman, and uh, I mean, as you know, I've been a Friedman fan for for decades, but his most recent book um, is called Thank You for Being Late. And uh, he he is a journalist, of course, a writer um, and uh, often based in Washington and he would have breakfast meetings with people, you know, nice chatty breakfast meetings. And he realised that every single breakfast meeting somebody would rock up and say to him, um, oh, I'm sorry, Tom, I'm sorry for being late. Um, You know, the, the trains were running late. I'm sorry for being late, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry for being late. And Tom Friedman too, one day he said to the chap, oh, no, thank you for being late. He said, "I I, uh, I very rarely get time just to sit and listen to people in cafes or sit and reflect on, on, on life, and uh, and so now um, it's become part of his daily ritual that every time everyone's late, um, he'll say thank you for being late because it's given him some reflection time, and it's those things you you take those kind of moments in life when you when you do what." Um, we do um, in speak and, and go to different conferences. You, you've got a lot of time at airports. You've got a lot of time alone in hotel rooms. Um, so instead of uh, going, oh, here I am stuck and, you know, plane's late and here I am delayed, you go, oh, thank you for being late and you do some reading or you do some writing or you do some listen, listening in. Uh, I still do find time or make time or create time, or maybe it's just as natural to me as breathing that, Each day I will find a way to reflect on paper. Um, And also I have the the beauty in my life that I'm constantly speaking or presenting or or designing presentations for myself or for organisations or designing conferences. So I've got somewhere to park that learning and put that learning and put it into action for other human beings. And I think... That's, that's another little reminder for each of them, even though I've got that structure, and, um, and I know you guys have got that structure in your life, but every one of us as a learning hero needs to put that structure in life. So we might not be designing a presentation for someone, but we can share what we've learned with someone. Um, oh, I, I read something interesting the other day. What do you think of this? And you tell them. I got to interview um, Sir Peter Ustinov very late in life, and um, and I know I've probably said this to you many Gar- times, Gary. But my favourite thing Ustinov said to me: um, I love being interviewed because I find out what I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes, some, yeah. Sometimes you don't know what what you even know until you open your mouth. Um, and by going into conversation, oh, I, I discovered this. Lindy, my wife, and I would. Um, we're 30 years married coming up, and um, every day we, we at least go for when we're together and, and I'm at home, we will walk. And um, if we're together, we'll go for an hour walk in the morning, an hour walk in the evening. And it goes so quickly because we just talk and we're constantly talking. And we go, geez, you've been married 30 years, you've still got stuff to talk about. We've got even more stuff to talk because oh, I read this the other day, heard this the other day. Did you hear this song on Spotify the other day? It's really interesting. The lyrics were. So you've got a somewhere to put the stuff that you're learning, and and when you speak it out loud, suddenly you think, "Geez, that that actually sounded pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little bit wiser as I age. This is lovely. So, uh, and it's and such an interesting
3: point. It's such an interesting point, Cap, because we had that on the show only a couple of weeks ago. We had a guy called Ken McLaughlin on. I don't know if you've come across Ken, but He's an expert in win-loss analysis, he's essentially a sales expert. And we got talking to Keane, he's an Irish guy, and he sent me a note after the show saying, really enjoyed it, thanks very much, and I especially appreciate the questions because you took me to places that I've never really been before and you made me appreciate learnings, particularly from his father, that he never talked about or never really thought about before that impacted his life. So it actually is quite a quite a, uh, quite a powerful Thought, uh, and I, I think it. I, I love that idea of the the Tom Friedman, who, by the way, Cap, you may not know, this is a big fan of the Mojo Radio Show, Tommy, oh, Tommy oh, Friedman, no doubt, no
2: doubt, the
3: Friedinator, we call him the Friedinator, the Friedster. <laughs> he uh, he loves it. But Robo, if you think. You can be late to the studio and you're going to get me going. Hey, thank you for being late. Dream on, pal. Aerosmith, yeah.
4: dream on. Next time I see it, next time I see a tweet from Gary sitting in an airport going, effing <laughs> insert airline name here, running yeah. late again, I'm going to be going, yeah. mate, think about the interview with Kat. That's a classic.
3: Quartus, thank you for being late again. <laughs> yeah, um,
2: no, Robert had sent me an email earlier saying, can you bring up something to, you know, overcome Gary Burtwitzel's deep anger <laughs> and, and the <laughs> of being late and delayed. But...
3: Oh, that is absolute gold. Cap, I'd be interested in your, I, I, one of the things, I, there's a lot of things I admire about you, mate, but I love the fact that you break words down, like breaking down imposter. I, I thought that was just gold. But I'd be interested in your your view, your personal view, your personal definition. What do you think genius is? I
2: I, I, I would rarely use the word um, genius without uh um, the word group um, coming before it, and that's uh, Keith Sawyer many years ago talked about group genius. Um, and, and mensa, interestingly, means um, table in Latin, So, um, and, and we've sort of subverted it in many ways because um, real intelligence belongs to the table. It belongs, how round is your table? How good is your sharing? Um, no one person can know it all, never could. So how, how do you unearth the group intelligence? Um, and we we'll have some people in the group who are really practical, some people in the group who are really innovative, some people in the group who are really just into their facts. And it's how you sort of weave the fabric of all of that together that... Uh, my life has been a tapestry. Carol King sang, and uh, she was right. You know, it's a, I think genius is, is a tapestry thing. No one person has ever been able to do it alone. Um, not even an Einstein or a Steve Jobs. Um, so it's that way of coming together. And if I was looking for the um, a way to explore that. Um, what we teach with kids is we, we'll say to them that they've got a magic brain and this magic brain of theirs is chock-a-block full of crayons and every crayon is a talent. And you don't just have one or two talents in your brain, one or two talent crayons. You've got a box of hundreds. Uh, now, sometimes crayons get damaged. I mean, Richard Branson's um, crayons for reading and writing, my brother's crayons for reading and writing with the form of dyslexia uh, have been damaged, but they use other crayons. So uh, look, go looking for the crayons in a child that they're already using um, and and find ways to nurture those. And if, if there's some crayons that are damaged, often by using the other crayons, we can then use those crayons to heal some of the, the damaged crayons or, or, or certainly to be able to re- use them instead of, find another crayon instead of to be able to put into action. So, and it's true also in our own life. Go back and reflect. It's amazing. many adults had stuff they did as a kid that there were certain crayons coming alive and then they stopped using the crayon and sometimes later in life returning to those unused crayons you discover a capacity and a capability inside yourself that is just amazing and it might be for writing a song or playing a musical instrument or picking up a language or or moving in a certain way but uh go back and uh utilize some of the crayons that we left behind.
4: Gary? Gold. That's a gold crayon. Gold crayon. Oh,
3: that's our first ever gold crayon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Cap, you, you are a learning hero. I'd be curious to know what you are currently working on to improve within yourself. Like in the what, What's something that you've got on your radar, on your whiteboard right now that you are looking to improve in your own personal performance, productivity, life? Leadership. I,
2: I think it's always on, ongoing for me. So interesting. I, I, I wrote a line um, in uh, the most recent um, revision of a particular chapter in the upcoming um, that uh, which said that you'd be pretty unwise to ever claim wisdom for yourself. So any, any human being that says, geez, I'm a wise person, go, no, nah, no, nah, well, they're not. um but but to go, okay, it's an ongoing road. Um, I think is quite quite marvellous. Um, so writing a memoir has, and writing it in such a way that as people read it, hopefully they'll be able to unearth their own memoir of life and their own learning journey. Um, uh, there's been an amazing thing because um, you start to realise and acknowledge some of those things. Uh, and people that you've been able to learn from and and gain from so one of the things i'm doing at the moment i guess because of the nature of this enterprise is i'm looking back and reflecting and learning to acknowledge uh, a whole stack better um, uh, yesterday morning i um, i'm Um, where I'm working at the moment. I'm in Perth um, and I'm about to head to Geraldton to do uh, a regional day. Um, But yesterday morning, very, very early, I walked from my hotel right up Scarborough Beach Road and walked past 223 Scarborough Beach Road where my nana used to live um, and where my nana took in the family when my mum got sick for a time period there. And I just stood in front of 223 and... I metaphorically hugged that building, and I gave an "I love you" sign in in sign language to to my nana, uh, and I really felt as if she she was there. Um, my my nana was uh, an entrepreneur. She bought businesses, made money, lost businesses, lost money. Um, she she was a single parent. Um, my mum was a uh, uh i didn't not have a a physical father for the first eight years of a life um, and my nana was probably 30 or 50 years ahead of her time um, and to actually go back and i felt her presence as i metaphorically hugged that building as i over and i tears were in my eyes and i thank you and i said it out loud and I could picture her as clearly as anything. Now, I was 11 years of age when Nana died, but I could picture her as clear as anything and the impression she made. And sometimes we, I think we just got to go back. To go forward, we've got to understand back. Um, the arrow will travel better forward once you pull back well in, into your life and into your history and uh, and give some acknowledgement. If they're not around somehow I believe they'll still pick up on that acknowledgement and they'll nod their head and smile at you And uh, as you continue to step through life. What was that
4: line you just said Cap? Something about the arrow going forward?
2: And, um, I, I don't know if you guys watch uh, SBS but um, Show where you trace back your life. You know, they look at you, where your parents came from, your grandparents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, who do you think you are? I think it's called. Um, I, there's a young bloke that used to go to Pinjarra District High School, and he's not. He had an American accent. He was only the big shock of hair and an American accent kid at, at Pinjarra Senior High, um, and uh, his name was John Butler. And John um, Butler, of course, is a, now a magnificent musician. And on his um, episode of Who's like, Who, Do You Think You Are, he said he was very forward-thinking. He always he was the sort of person strategically with an aim in mind heading forward. And he said what going on that show had done for him. It had it was like archery, and he realised his arrow could now go forward better because he had learned how to pull back well. And you think of it in archery, the arrow's not going to go very far unless you pull back well and strong and deep, and then it helps you go forward. And I think that's uh, that's why organisations have got to know their history. It's why we as human beings have got to acknowledge our, our history. All the things that have happened along the way, we can tip our head, we can give a thank you, we can give a hug, or we can um, go, okay, that was extremely painful, and you wouldn't wish that upon any human being, but it's helped me be who I am and uh, be who I am uh, better uh, on a daily basis. So, Yep, I'm the, the, um, um, not great at the physical uh, aim of archery, but uh, the metaphoric aim of archery um, with thanks and a nod of the head to the wonderful John Butler um, certainly helps my yeah, life. Yeah,
4: when you said that in there, it really struck me. I like that.
2: The arrow struck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yes>.
3: <laughs> Cap, you have written about flow, and I'd have to say in the last year or so there's been a lot more written and a lot more discussed about how we get into flow. And I read a quote recently that said, flow follows focus. So my question is around two things is in your mind, how does somebody develop better focus in order to find this flow? And I guess the reason I'm interested in the focus part is because Cal Newport, who wrote the book Deep Work, which is a fantastic book, he said that Focus will be the IQ of the future, because people are really struggling to focus on one thing for any given period of time. In which case, we're doing shallow work, not deep work. So, I'm interested in your view on, for yourself or you, people you've observed, how do we how do we develop our focus? And off the back of that, does that lead to, in your mind, an important part of flow? No,
2: certainly, the um, I first came across. Flow in in that way of referencing it through the wonderful writings of Mahaley Csikszentmihalyi. Mahai, um, and in 1991, um, through Dee Dickinson in Seattle, I got to uh, actually spend time with the ideas and the person of Mahaley Csikszentmihalyi Mahai and uh, this uh, this idea of flow. So, and, and it's really interesting. I mean, that was uh, 89, 90, 91. Um, Mahaley had been writing about it prior to that, um, and now his concepts are really flowing. You know, it's becoming part of the vocabulary of people. So sometimes it takes a year, a decade, three decades, four decades. Maybe it takes some TED talks or, or, or a new technology to take an idea and bring it out to people. But Chiksan Mahai really was talking about. We we all know flow. It's it's where we lose ourselves in a moment where time zips by it seems as if it's only been five minutes but we've actually been doing something for two hours and we're we're loving it and we're not doing it for a strategic purpose or gain but it it will add to our life anyway um you know so we uh, we do it because we love doing it so you might think of aspects of your work that are flow aspects Um, you might think of things that you do in your life which are You know, you're not getting paid to do it, but um, you're putting in hours and hours and hours and hours each week into that. Um, You know, hopefully parenthood would be a flow thing for people. So – and part of it too is is that we – we lose self-consciousness as, as we're in. We're not self-conscious. If, if you're playing a game of golf and you're in flow, you're not thinking about what you look like and you're not thinking, oh, these people are looking at me tee off now. Don't hit into the lake. Um, you know, therefore your game of golf has gone kaput and, and your, your focus is out, out the window. So flow and focus are kind of entwined because we're not sitting there going focus, 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 concentrate. We are just focused and in what we're doing. And, again, look for what your kids do where they get that. Now, it becomes increasingly difficult if you've got a world where you just swipe to the next page every instant or you're clicking your phone to get an Instagram photo of yourself and then putting it out there. So in a world where we're kind of turning people into being more self-focused and more um, concerned about getting themselves out there. We're in so many different ways, then we're losing the ability to spend time on a thing, which is what natural play is, is and does, where we spend time on a thing and, and we're involved in it and it's really working, working for us. So if you dissect the word focus too, there's us in it. It finishes with us. So it's not necessarily just about being focused on yourself. It's being focused upon you in an ecology, as part of the planet, as part of a team, as part of a family, as part of a a link to history, as another little tiny moment that comes from other moments before us and will lead to other moments in in the future in, in front of us. Then flow in its own sense is that in the biggest, grandest picture is the, the tiny little role we play in the flow of the world. Um, without us being who we are, we, we wouldn't have these connections. Without you being who you are, you wouldn't have that eight-year-old boy who becomes the 11-year-old boy. Um, without my nana doing the things she did, my brother, myself, my sister would not be who we are as human beings. So it's the tapestry of the flow of all life in the grandest sense, but it's also this ability to look at what crayons really excite you in this moment that you naturally are spending flow time with them and when you can recognise that in yourself and others, then start to grow it and develop it.
3: I think it's clear why you are known here in the studio as the Mojo radio show Yoda.
2: (laughs) Sometimes people, people say yo-yo rather than Yoda.
4: No, well, at least you don't speak like Yoda. <laughs> That's
2: good. I Thank you. I'll take Yoda. I'll, I'll go with
4: Yoda. That's nice.
3: <laughs> at this point, Cap, I think you're sufficiently warmed up. We have been down the dirt roads of Kalgoorlie. We have been to the kibbutz. We have been, we've actually, we've taken a bit of a journey. We've actually been around around the world, around the map today, but we've been leading for one thing today, Cap, and
4: it is my great pleasure to hand you over to Robbo now for uh, the most important question of the day. The most important questions of the day. I think we should definitely do a nifty ninety. Here we go, Here we go. Yeah.
0: Robbo's nifty ninety.
4: Okay, Cap. So, uh, do you think you're ready for this? Uh,
2: ready as my neocortex will ever be, mate. All right,
4: you've. you've- <laughs> <laughs> you told us during the you've told us during the interview that you love di- dissecting words. So, what's your favourite word?
2: Quiddity, uh, which means your essential essence. What
4: was the last book you read?
2: I just finished uh, the Tom Friedman book. Um, Thank you for being late. And also just finished um, some of Margaret Atwood's um, novels um, about dystopia and uh, how. The world may not be shaping itself as a better place. Uh,
4: What's your favourite outdoor activity?
2: Walking and then surfing. And if you can walk to surf, even better. Yes, I was about to say <laughs> that. You took you the can, words out of my even mouth. even better if you can walk away from the surf afterwards. That's yes, nice uh, you, they don't try
3: and convince us you can walk on water, Yoda.
4: <laughs> Family and pets aside, what three things would you grab if your house was burning down?
2: Immediately, my immediate thought as a young teenage boy would always grab yourself first. It's, um... <laughs> 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 you can occupy hours of pleasure. Um, it's, um... I would grab, uh... I would grab a journal, um, I would grab my my laptop, which has got um, all my presentations in it, and um, I would uh – just grab a hold of a, a moment to think deeply within myself. Um, you know, do your best to get through this.
4: Finish this sentence for me. I never get tired of... Learning. ...something that's best done slowly.
2: Well, uh, most things, I think, but um, uh, reflection um, yeah, is something to be done slowly. Although I'd, I was watching a speaker the other day and saying, turn to your teammate and talk as quickly as you can in 30 seconds about the things you do to <laughs> um, So <laughs> You've got to love irony in life too. <laughs>
4: What's one thing you learnt as a child that you still use today?
2: The rhythms of life. I I learnt from my dad, Jack, and uh, the way that he responded to jazz music, and that comes into every presentation I do. It comes into how I lead every day of life. What's one
4: thing you need to stop doing?
2: I need to stop uh, overworking sometimes, um, and I think I'm getting better at that. Um, But, uh, yes, um, and I need to stop... Oh, no, no, maybe I need more. I'm not sure if I need more of or rid of... Um, Being passionate in games of Australian rules football when West Australian teams are (laughs) playing.
4: All right, last two, and they're the big questions, these two. Bacon or Tim Tams?
2: Limited of both, but bacon would um, before a Tim Tam.
4: Bacon before a Tim Tam. And what song gets Glenn Capelli's Mojo going?
2: Most recently, um, I, I worked with a, a group of men who um, are about to be released from prison, and uh, I played uh, Bruce Springsteen working on a dream. You know, you're out there, you're toiling, you're doing what you're doing, but you really keep reminding yourself you're working on a dream, a better future for yourself, a better future for your kids. My hands are rough from-
1: I saw the boss
2: for the first time um, just a, a month or two ago in Melbourne. Three and a half hours on stage. That guy is energy personified. His philosophy: you can dance to.
4: Absolutely. If, uh, if I had half his energy by the time I get to his age, I'll be doing well.
3: Hey, um, can I throw? Can I just extend this to a nifty ninety-five? Of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> just to break in, Rob, uh, Cap. A question that I'd like to start introducing to the show from time to time is: I'd like you to tell me a song. But if our listeners listen to the song would be the best definition of Glenn Capelli, the man. If there's a song that sums you up and gives a representation of you, the man – What song would I listen to?
2: It'd be be a toughie because um, my immediate thought goes back to the one I used in all of my presenting, which is my dad introduced me to the song Do What You Do, Do Well, Boy, Do What You Do, Do Well. But I'd like to top that or at least um, put a flip side to it with um, Laura Nero at 19 years of age wrote a song that eventually got recorded by a big band called Blood, Sweat and Tears and the song is And When I Die. And when I die and when I'm gone, there'll be one child born in this world to carry on. It's a song about legacy. And if we don't have the children, um, then what do we leave behind in terms of character? What do we learn in times uh, behind in terms of the example of a learning hero set? Yeah. And that song goes fast. It goes slow. It pauses. It stops. It speeds up again. It goes crescendo. It's got one voice and then it's got many. It's got one instrument and then none and then many. It is life itself in, in a song, um, and she wrote it when she was 19 years of age, the wonderful Laura Neera.
1: And when I die and when I'm gone, there'll be one child born.
3: What a great, what, a, what an awesome way to close the show. There's this the encore. Yeah, indeed. Hey, Yoda's brought it. Yoda saved, See, saved the, the idea knockout is punch. In,
2: in asking the question, the, the wisdom is in the question asker <laughs> and not in the answer given. So, well done, guys.
3: Uh, Cap, you are you're a good mate of this show. You are the Yoda of the Mojo Radio show. You're the godfather of uh, of us on Libsyn. Thanks so much, Cap. I mean, honestly, the show could go four hours. We wouldn't cover mm. the same territory twice. You're uh, you're a wealth of knowledge. You are a learning hero. You've got a super cape. that is is a force of nature, mate. Thank you. Uh,
2: thank you very, very much, guys. Um, you're gems, and uh, always love chatting. Thank you, pals. Here we come. Here we come.
4: Mojo Radio Show. Well, Glenn Capelli proves once again that he is the master.
3: Well, I think he goes above master. I I like to think of him as the Yoda of the (laughs) Mojo Radio Show.
4: That makes us Luke Skywalker. It
3: would be amazing to lay out all the stories he knows back to back. I reckon it would go around the earth six or seven times. That guy, I've spent time with Cap on the show doing speaking gigs and just rabbiting on between jobs and- I don't think I've ever heard the same story twice.
4: I love that line, the first pancake's always lumpy. That's a great one. That's a good takeaway from me out of that show. <laughs> the first smoothie <laughs> in the morning is always lumpy. Yeah, the first smoothie, the almonds haven't quite pulverised. <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special
0: <laughs> <laughs> The Mojo Radio Show. Right.
3: Now uh that was a great show. We are going to leave with some movie philosophy. What have you got
4: for us, mate? I found a great piece on the interwebs, as you like to call it, uh, from Denzel Washington, famous movie actor done well, we were talking about it before the show, done squillions of movies.
3: Don't you love the guys who are at the top of their game and they can go by one name?
4: As like in, in, in basketball
3: it's Michael. Yeah, right. <laughs> Denzel.
4: Yeah. Yeah, he's just, one of them.
3: Absolutely. Warnie. Just go by one name. Warnie. <laughs> just,
4: <laughs> Robbo. Robbo. <laughs> I, um, I, I was really inspired by this piece, though. Denzel went back to his university to give a speech to some of the students there. And um, look, listen, it doesn't need any introduction. Just have a listen.
5: You will fail at some point in your life. Accept it. You will lose. You will embarrass yourself. You will suck at something. There's no doubt about it. I was a 1.8 GPA one semester, and the university very politely suggested that it might be better to take some time off. I was 20 years old. I was at my lowest point. But here's the thing. I didn't quit. I didn't fall back. But I continued to fail and fail and fail. But it didn't matter because you know what? There's an old saying. You hang around the barbershop long enough, sooner or later you're gonna get a haircut. So you will catch a break, and I did catch a break. Last year, I did a play called Fences on Broadway. It was at the same theater that I failed that first audition 30 years prior. Thomas Edison conducted 1,000 failed experiments. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Because the 1,001st was the light bulb. Fall forward. Sometimes it's the best way to figure out where you're going. Never be discouraged. Never hold back. Give everything you got. And when you fall throughout life, remember this fall forward. I just figured that was really powerful.
4: I, you know, I think there's a lot to take out of that.
3: I'll put a link to it in the show notes and it's on a YouTube channel called Goalcast, G-O-A-L-C-A-S-T, and I think you'll find it pretty easy. The thing that sums it up for me is the line that sits underneath the video on YouTube, and it said, and this is a quote from the commencement speech that he gave, you will lose, you will embarrass yourself, you will suck at something. And what comes to mind, Robbo, is I think, as a radio show, I think we've completely nailed that.
4: <laughs> we, we've lost. We've embarrassed ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Weekly, Yes. We know we suck at a lot of things. Yeah. We just hope there's some gold in between. We keep turning up. One day we'll get it right. One day. And one day we'll create the life that we've
3: always dreamed of, which is the subhead on that piece of video. So thank you, Denzel. I reckon it's a great way to close out the show. Mm. If we were going to play a song. hmm that kind of sums up this whole thing for me, the fact that you are going to lose. And any successful autobiography, biography of anybody in any part of the world, I guarantee they're going to have failures. There's no, nobody goes through everything without having the hard times. There's always the good, the bad, and the ugly in every single story. And... When I heard this line, you will lose, you will embarrass yourself, you will suck at something, it made me think of Eminem from the movie Eight Mile. So what's the play-out song, mate? Well, it's got to be
4: lose yourself. We're out.
1: Look, if you had one shot one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment Oh, there goes Rabbity choke. He's so mad, but he won't give up, Daddies, He know he won't have it. He knows his whole back to these ropes. It don't matter. He's dope. He knows that, but he's pro. He's so stagnant. He knows when he goes back to this mobile home. That's when it's back to the lab again. Yo, this old Rhapsody better go capture this moment and hope it don't World is mine for the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. A normal life is boring, but superstardom's close to postmortem. It only. Change, what you call rage, tear this motherfucking roof off like two dogs' cage. I was playing in the beginning, the mood all changed. I've been chewed up and spit out and booed off stage, but I kept rhyming and stepped right in the next cypher. Best believe somebody's paying the pod piper, all the pain inside amplified by the fact that I can't get by with my nine to five and I can't provide the right type of life for my family. Cause man.